Hi, I'm Andre and you're listening to Inside Remote, a podcast where we share stories from remote work experts and remote companies who are building new era of distributed work. Today, our guest is Justin Mitchell. Justin is a founder and CEO of FIAC, audio phrase messaging that helps you talk faster and build stronger relationships with your remote team. Today, we will be covering the story of Yak, discuss communication in teams and how Yak is trying to solve this problem. We will also cover interesting topics of hiring and how Yak's team approach remote work. Tune in and see what Justin has to say. Hey, Justin, welcome to Inside Remote. I've been a great fan of Yak since your beginnings in 2019 when you started on Product Hunt Makers Festival. So can you tell us how this story started? Yeah, I mean, the uh, the Makers Festival was kind of the prod and the poke that we needed. Uh, there was basically no plans to build anything like this. And I'm always into the idea of kind of participating in these community hackathons or these big events. And I think also for marketing purposes, I've talked about this at length in some blogs about just this idea of not spending marketing dollars if you can ride somebody else's marketing train. And so the Product Makers Festival, at least for our agency at that time, was this idea of like, well, let's build something cool and it'll solidify us in the marketplace and people will see who built it and contact us for work. Um, and you know, I didn't know what I was going to build, but then the categories came out and remote tools was one of them. And you know, we've been a remote design agency for the last six years and obviously have seen the problems with communication and with clients overcompensating for us being remote and wanting tons and tons of meetings. And so when the, the category popped, it just kind of went immediately into my mind, this is what we should build. We should build a replacement for meetings. And so, yeah, it was just kind of the, uh, the nudge in the right direction that we needed. What kind of issues you, um, you figured out was happening all the time with uh, communication with clients or in between like in teams uh, when they're especially remote ones? Sure. So, you know, I think with remote teams, uh, management and the company itself is very aware of um, kind of the disconnect that you have when you're not in the office. And I think most teams realize that voice and, you know, phone calls and video calls and in general, voice communication is the way to solve that. The problem that we see is, is this large overcompensation for that problem. So you've got all these tools that are in the marketplace today. You've got Zoom and Hangouts and Slack and Skype and everything that's available to a remote team to use. But they're all just simulating an office environment or they're all monopolizing your time. You know, Zoom is a great example of something that I think just gets uh, abused or overused because they feel like, hey, we need to constantly be on the same page. We have to always be in communication. And the way that they solve that is 30, 40 minutes uh, of a meeting, right? And then you have that three, four times a day. And then you have a couple more projects or a couple more teams uh, that maybe you cross over, especially for management, right? You've got a project manager that maybe is on three, four different projects at a time. Well, that means he probably has three, four meetings a day, right? And then the Mm -hmm. question becomes, when do you actually get real work done, right? If you're in meetings from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m., you know, typically you're getting all of your work done after 5 p.m. And then you're, you know, you should be off work, right? That should be (laughs) the time that you have that Zen where you're able to say, all right, it's 5 p.m., shut the laptop. Let me spend some time with my family. Uh, Let me get dinner, eat and sleep like a normal person. Um, But for remote workers, a lot of times that actually becomes the only time that they can focus. And so for us, we saw this problem of teams that overcompensated for the lack of the in-office presence, but just having tons of meetings, tons of phone calls and this constant check-in process. And so we wanted to build a tool that would allow you to check in with your team, but not monopolize their time. This kind of focus on super fast, very efficient voice communication that didn't have to result in scheduling and meetings and phone calls. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, we built the whole thing over four days. It was just kind of like a little hackathon project. And, you know, the app is massively different than it was back in, you know, November of 2018 when we did it for the Product Hunt Makers Festival. Um, but at that time, you know, I think the core focus of productivity, focus on deep work, uh, the ability to actually accomplish something during your day, that has stayed true throughout the whole process. And in what stage is currently Aka? What are you working on? What's the next thing? Yeah. So, you know, from a timeline perspective, we built the original alpha back in 2018. Um, we were fortunate enough to get some interest from VCs uh, in the in the quarter one of that of this year and uh, got some VC funding to kind of take it from a hackathon weekend project all the way over to a fully featured startup. And so we've spun the company completely out of our design agency. Uh, we're all full time on this now. And uh, what we're doing right now is essentially an invite-only phase. So we've got Mac and Windows apps. We've got iOS and Android apps. Uh, it's invite-only, so you can request an invite on the website or you can get an invite from an existing team. Uh, the idea there being not only to kind of uh, create this, this FOMO or this um, kind of like special club, but on our end, it's kind of a conscious decision to keep that feedback uh, loop tight. Uh, we've had tons of different people interested in this product. And we want to be very you know, certain and deliberate about the feedback that we're getting on it. We want to make sure that they're in our target market, that whoever's giving us feedback is the, the right type of team that we want using the product so that we're not you know, iterating in the wrong direction. Uh, a big part of what we've done in our agency in years past is really focused on user experience design, really focused on product market fit. And so when we're launching this thing, we're kind of purposefully limiting the amount of users that are on it right now so that we can make sure that we're building around a use case and not just kind of like scattershotting the whole thing. We don't like that shotgun approach to product where you just kind of make sure that everybody has a use case for it. We're trying to be very narrow early on. And I think we'll expand um, not only the invite system out, but also the product features out over the next you know six months. Um, but right now, it's definitely super, super focused. Um, we're really trying to see even just the ideal size of a team. You know, is that 10 people? Is it 15 people? Is it 30 people? Um, what's the ideal team size? How, what's the ideal length of a message? You know, right now, it's limited to 30 seconds for a yak. Um, that was an arbitrary number we came up with. So we've got all these metrics in the app that are just trying to determine the average size uh, or average length of a message so that we can, you know, move that into the user experience. The feedback you're getting, like, is this uh, the messages, like the audio messages you're you're working with, is like, is this like a shorter thing? Like, is this something where people communicate asynchronously in a sense, like they they just uh, give a memo, or is it like a longer thing, like an instruction or a feedback on something? Like, what what do you usually see, like, with the teams? Uh, yeah, get? so we just shipped a new feature for asynchronous screen sharing. Uh, one of the things that we added to that was the ability to. Um, annotate over top of your screen. And so you just got a red marker, you can kind of draw up the screen. Uh, there's an instant button to kind of erase what you've drawn and start over. Um, and we see those be longer, um, maybe a minute, um, maybe even a minute and 30 seconds for these videos. Although I will say that that's probably massively shorter than a Loom video would be, you know, another tool that's commonly used for uh, screen shares. But our focus is, you know, kind of the opposite of something like Loom, right? So Loom is a big focus on editing and clipping and trimming and commenting and this like production, right? Uh, Yak is meant to be this raw kind of um, quick, scrappy way to get information from one end to another. 
And what we've seen is say like average message length over just voice, 16 seconds, right? Which is so cool, right? That means that somebody is effectively able to communicate with their team in just 16 seconds. What we also see from a behavior standpoint is exactly what we wanted to see, which is we'll see uh, four to six messages kind of in a cluster back and forth, back and forth between a couple of people. And then you'll see like a gap, say 45 minutes or an hour and a half. And then you'll see another four messages back and forth. And what's cool about that is we interpret that as basically a mini, miniature meeting, right? Like they had a mini meeting, something that would have been 20, 30 minutes scheduled on a Google Calendar invite uh, that now they're able to accomplish in say 90 seconds total. And that's amazing. That's the user behavior that we want to see. Uh, the metrics are showing us that people are adopting it exactly how we wanted them to. Um, and now we're just kind of getting feedback on what else they want. You know, so like one major thing that we've had users say is, this is amazing. I get a... Uh, a task sent to me over voice that says what I should work on for the day. Now I need the ability to attach that to a Trello card or put it as a Jira task or dump it into my Asana. Uh, and so that's kind of the next thing that we're working on is these integrations, transcriptions that you can search and find a message, um, just kind of like the power user stuff. Now that we've got the base you know, functionality, the base features, the, the core product, uh, really working well. Now it's time to add the kind of extra glitter on top. So lately there has been a lot of fuss about communication in Teams. Can you tell us what you see as the main issue with communication in Teams at the moment? It, it's, it's just a signal versus noise scenario, right? So there's a time and a place for a, for a Zoom call. There's a time and a place for a Slack message. Um, and what we've kind of done here is created a new category of communication. So we see this as lying somewhere between a Zoom call and a Slack message. So we're not asking you to replace these tools. We're asking you to think for a second before you send that message, before you send that calendar invite. Could this just be an asynchronous yak? Does this really need to be a Zoom meeting? Or is this something that's a complex subject or even an emotional subject and something that just does not belong in our Slack? Um, it, would it come across clearer and have better clarity, better, better emotion recognition if I said it as a voice message, if they could hear my voice? Um, and so we don't see that there's a problem with the existing solutions. Um, however, I will say I just got off the call with a VC, and one of the things that he said he really liked about us was that of all the tools that they've looked at, especially ones that incorporate audio or are trying to say, hey, we're the audio for Slack or we're the Slack audio competitor, um, is that we're the first tool that's built something kind of from the ground up with voice first instead of kind of slapping voice onto an existing system, right? So like if today Slack added voice messaging or just the ability to record your voice inside of Slack, that wouldn't, you know, make us falter at all, right? That is just adding to the external noise that Slack already produces. If I sent a voice message inside of Slack, it would just get lost inside of a slew of messages uh, it's possible I'd never even listen to it because there's just so much going on in your Slack. It's become not just a communication tool, but like your team archive. Our GitHub issues get dumped into there. Our comments and our vision board get dumped into there. It's no longer a effective way to communicate with somebody because of how much noise it's created. And don't get me wrong, it's a very powerful tool, but it's not focused. It's noisy and it's distracting. And so, you know, the biggest differentiator for something like Yak is this idea of calm, focused, deep work, with high clarity, high resolution communication. And it's that balance between being able to actually get stuff done during your day and still be able to communicate effectively. 
this means like that actually uh, you're like adding a new tool like to the already like uh, let's say a remote stack uh, most of the remote teams are uh, are already using it like is uh, is this like something uh, the the teams who are using yak are mostly remote or you also um um having experience with teams who are on site and using yak or like how how does this differentiate like the usage of uh, from these two uh teams yeah so you know i think our biggest focus is definitely on remote teams uh however i just read a, a book called distributed teams the art and practice of working together while physically apart and i think what's interesting of that is working together while physically apart uh, and what john says in this book Uh, that kind of struck a chord with me is this idea that well at some point all teams are distributed right so you know once you get to a certain scale you get a private office or you buy the second floor of a building or you open up a satellite office right so like at some point every company becomes distributed in some way as they scale um so that's not to say that if you've got a team that's three people sitting in the same office every single day yeah yak's probably not the best choice for you you could physically just walk over to someone and talk to them um however for any team that's gotten to a size i don't know say 15 people there's no way 15 people are all working in the same tiny little office they've had to have separated at some point. So while our focus is clearly on remote and distributed teams, uh, we do have a place in companies that um are just kind of in physically separate locations. You know, we've got a team using it now that is in a three-story office building. And so they're on three separate stories for three separate departments and they all need to communicate with each other. And while they're not technically a remote team, Uh, they're definitely not going to get up off of their desk, walk up a floor just to go say something that would take 30 seconds over yak. Um although that might be the better reason for exercise. Um but yeah, so what's interesting is the use case spreads even further than just a distributed team. Even a team that just has uh, we've got a company uh, here locally actually that has uh, just their customer support department as a separate office building. So the customer support department obviously needs to kind of phone home to the mothership to ask questions about the product, get um, you know, give feedback from customers, you know, hey, someone run into this bug, we need to mark this down in our, you know, project management system for an engineer to fix. So they need a way to communicate back to the, you know, the main company and Yak is a great tool for them to be able to have kind of everybody in one building communicating inside that building, but as soon as they need to reach out to another department that's in a different building, they can use Yak. <laughs> I see. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Uh, and this is uh one thing which uh like a lot of people already realize like uh just looking from another perspective is like once you scale a team like and some uh, some of us already experienced that like going from 20 people in the same uh in the same place or like in the same floor going to more like you figure out it's kind of like even if you're on site you're still distributed like and you lose like a lot of time. Yep just like going up and down and uh, spending those elevator minutes instead of like just effectively talking through exactly it's all about productivity and being able to actually accomplish what you're supposed to accomplish for the day and whether that means not being in a meeting or not having to run across a campus to go find somebody at their desk mm -hmm. absolutely our goal is definitely to put more time back in your day that's great and talking about the productivity like especially for remote teams What do you see like it's the next issue somebody is going to solve or like what is the field like you think uh, is going to evolve like in the next uh, few years um, and is not ready yet? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's where Yak is kind of uniquely positioned. Uh, if you look at kind of the tools that are in the remote landscape today, you see a lot of these tools that are trying to replicate the office environment for a remote team. Um, and, and that has its ups and downs. Like I can see the pros and cons. Presence and being around other people is a nice feeling at an emotional level. You know, it, it combats loneliness. At the same time, though, remote workers have typically fled the office environment for one reason, right? It's a noisy, distracting um, and not productive, you know, place to work. Whereas at home, um, you know, in the place that they feel the most comfortable, they're able to actually knock stuff out and get work done. And so what I think we're at an industry, industry point here, we're kind of at a tipping point where we see uh, new tools coming out that are focused on this idea of like deep work. Um, actually, there was a, a tool just launched on Product Hunt yesterday. And all it does is sync up with your Google Calendar and report back to your boss how much time you actually have to do deep work. Right. And then, you know, I, I assume there's some calculation behind that, but that calculation is probably two hours of uninterrupted time, which <laughs> during most days, like you just don't have. Like even actually today, I, I've done the, this podcast. I've got a couple VC calls. I had a news crew in my office this morning um, doing an interview. So literally for the past couple hours, like I haven't had a moment to just sit down and focus. And for most teams, that's a real true problem is that they just don't have two hours of uninterrupted time. And so I think we're at kind of a renaissance, you know, right now inside of the market where people are realizing, wow, I'm, I'm doing most of my work at 8 p.m. at night and that's not healthy. And I think we're fortunate enough that health and mental health and this awareness of um, needing time to focus away from meetings is becoming a bigger thing. And so I think in the next year or so, you're going to see not only a resurgence in just remote work as a whole, but a resurgence in tools or a explosion of tools that are specifically geared around how do we optimize, you know, our workday? How do we optimize for remote work instead of slapping a tool on top of a remote team that's maybe not built for remote, where it's not even built from the perspective of what it's like to be remote. It's built from the perspective of a team that knows that remote work is a thing and uh, is kind of trying to fix, quote unquote, the remote problem instead of leaning into the best parts of remote, which is typically the idea of being on your own and being able to focus. Uh, so what, we, what I see in the marketplace today is a lot of tools popping up left and right, but they're all built from the perspective of a company that's not remote that wants to mm -hmm. build for remote. And so they've never actually been in the environment. And so they're trying to push this ideal of like, let's replicate the office environment. Let's hop into a room and, you know, uh, let's, you know, let's move out of this project room and hop into the water cooler room where we can just hear like conversation happening. And while that's cool and I get it, no one actually wants to work like that. No one wants to be randomly interrupted in the day by some noise or some random conversation. Like, uh, even inside of open offices, uh, we were just at the render conference at Betaworks Studios in New York. And one of the cool things that was said in one of the talks was this idea that AirPods have replaced cubicle walls because now you can just put on headphones and that's a signaler to the people around you of like, leave me alone. I don't want to be talked to. I'm trying to focus. Um, and if you have to do that while you're at work, just work at home and then you don't have to have headphones on. Um, and so I think that there's definitely this, uh, this movement towards this idea of uh, deep work focus. And I'm excited that Yak is kind of one of the first tools to support that type of work and not encourage interruption, right? Like we're encouraging you to actually not answer a message, get your work done when you're free and you've come up from that flow state, you can listen to your messages and you can reply back to them. 
And that's respecting not only your time, but it's respecting everyone else's time as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting approach, and I think like I definitely agree with you. And I'm also very excited like to see that Yak is like changing the landscape in a way. And definitely, like as you mentioned, it's it's different. Like we're gonna probably we're gonna see like there's a lot of people around like uh, around us who who are just want to get focused and. We might see really like yeah going uh, from synchronous to asynchronous as default first, mm-hmm. and then see that kind of a communication first. So you get like in flow, and you got definitely right. Like so many of us, like even I don't know from your experience, but from my experience, it used to happen like being a, a PM working with a lot of people, get ping pong like all the time, yeah, yeah. like not having time to actually de- do deep work. Got sick, got home, like. I could work like for maybe two hours effectively. I got much, much more done than being in the office, which is ridiculous, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can see it from that perspective. So this is definitely like an interesting landscape we're going to see uh, uh, being developed in the next uh, few uh, years. Um, talking about remote like and uh, having a team, like, can I ask you like how big of a team you have right now? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're fortunate enough to come from this this agency side where I've worked with my co-founders for six years now. We know each other really well. Uh, we work together well as a team. And so coming from the agency side, I was able to just basically supplant core team members and say, hey, you no longer work for So Friendly. You are now full time on Yak and just kind of move them over there and put them, uh, you know, place them in a place for success. And what's awesome about that is that we're able to be very agile about our team because we can kind of scale up and scale down depending on the needs, leave people on the agency side or bring them over to Yak as needed. Uh, So we've got uh, about five core people here in Florida. uh, And then we've got a couple of people scattered across the U.S. Like we have a fantastic developer in New York City. We have one in Seattle. uh, And then we have a very large offshore development team as well that I've built up over the last eight years. And. I've been working with for years, really, really, really great engineering there. And so we're able to kind of um, do lean work um, from a startup perspective and not have to worry about hiring and firing and vetting people. Um, We already kind of have a team in place, which is awesome. So core team, about five people, uh, remote, about eight. And then we've got uh, about 15, 20 engineers working on the project right now uh, on the offshore side. Um, Talking about the hiring, like... um... You already like hire like a bunch of people, like you said, like offshore or in uh, in states uh, working distributedly. What comes the like biggest challenge for you, like in hiring uh, remote talent? Yeah, I mean it's funny because we're a communication tool, but communication that's that's the biggest problem. Um, <laughs> there's tons of talent all over the world. Uh, we found an amazing developer who's very very smart, but he but he wouldn't communicate, right? And so sorry, you're out of here. I, I need you to communicate. I have to know what you're working on. I need to know what the status of XYZ is. And so communication is always going to be the make or break it thing. Uh, you can teach somebody to be a good developer. It's very difficult to teach somebody to communicate differently. And so that's one of the biggest things that I look for when hiring. Um, I actually hire the majority of folks off of Reddit. I use Reddit for hire nice. all the time. I found some of the best developers we've ever hired from there. Um, just recently found a, a really cool guy in the U.S. that helped build a Backtrack. I don't know if you're familiar with that. We just launched it on Product Hunt a couple weeks ago. Um, built it in like four days. Uh, we got 1,000 downloads the first week. I think we're like a little bit over 4,000 now just in a couple weeks. Uh, very quick build idea on an airplane. Hired a developer off Upwork. 
on the airplane, got him started on it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, remote work is enabling this idea of, I have an idea on a flight back from Menlo Park, right? Like we had just done a VC meeting in Menlo, hopped on a, fl- uh, a flight in SFO back to Florida, and we'd already built the website, the logo, the brand, the idea, and hired a developer all while in the air. And remote work enables that, right? I was able to phone back home to the team sitting in the Florida office and say, hey, let's get started on the designs, hop on Upwork, hire a developer immediately to work on that. Um, and that's something that's kind of the magic of being able to do remote work. And so uh, one of the things that we look for typically when we're hiring a developer in particular is hobby projects. Um, I love seeing that someone on their GitHub just has things that they've been tinkering with, even incomplete projects. It's one of the first things that I look for, though, is a developer that looks like they have fun when they develop. Like I want someone who actively likes coding. It's not something went to school for and this is their livelihood. It's it's like they, they enjoy it. They have fun coding. And those are the people that I find that when I give them a task, it's not um, let me figure out how to do this to get done with it. It's this is interesting. I like having a problem thrown at me. Let me see how I can uniquely solve this problem. And those are the best developers that I find is, is people that have already been doing that on their own time. And then when I throw a problem at them, they get excited about it. They're like, Ooh, that one's tough. Let me see how I can solve that. I really like your unusual approach to hiring, um, especially regarding the channel. Hope we can all learn that there are many interesting places where you can find top talent like this. So going a little back to talk about communication in teams. So how do you test for communication with candidates who apply to jobs? Um, do you have any tips? Well, I mean, typically during the hiring process, it becomes pretty immediately obvious to me. Um, how fast do they reply to my email? When they reply to my email, is it, dear sir, I would be honored to work for you in this engagement. Please see the attached Google Drive link for my portfolio. Or is it like, hey, dude, this looks really cool. I'd love to work on this. Uh, You know, hit me up. Here's my cell phone number, like this casual, very normal way of speaking. And if they're Mm -hmm. fast and they reply quickly, um, I had a guy that I was literally just DMing on Twitter. And just within like, I think an hour, I was like, dude, you're hired. Like, I don't even need to see your, your work. Like you communicate effectively. You look, you sound excited about the opportunity. You're, you sound normal. Like you just sound like somebody that I would be able to communicate with on a regular basis and not have to feel like it's this formal, weird engagement. Um, and it's great because once you kind of nail that at the very beginning and you feel like, okay, I feel comfortable with this person. They're responding quickly to me. I feel like I have a rapport with them. Um, that mm-hmm. establishes a really great baseline moving forward. And so, yeah, I typically figure that out early on. Um, I, I, I will not say I've never made a mistake and hired somebody that, that didn't work out, but I do think that the people that uh, didn't work out, typically it, it was because of lag in communication, right? Like mm-hmm. they did great work and they communicated when you engaged with them. But the problem is, hey, I'm a CEO, I, I'm busy, I'm doing lots of stuff. I do need you to reach out to me and just give me an update once in a while so that I'm not having to remember, oh, I remember I gave somebody a task, I should check in on that. I want someone to reach out to me and give me that update. Um, so yeah, big part of it is that interview process, just the initial emails, um, especially on Reddit, um, I basically won't reply to somebody if they've sent me an email or a, a message that um, is just weird, like is too formal or uh, doesn't sound like just a normal person. Um, you can tell pretty quickly, you know, the difference in candor and the way that they speak. 
Um, another thing that I'll typically do is if I reply back very quickly to someone and then there's four or five days where I don't get a message back, like, you know, typically somebody will uh, message me on Reddit. I'll say, hey, this this looks good. I like your portfolio. You know, what's your rate and availability? And if I don't get a reply back in four or five days, I don't care when they reply. They could have the best rate and the best availability in the world. But if it took five days for them to get back to me, I can tell that communication is not a priority for them. Um, mm -hmm. And even though they might be a great developer, I want someone who is prioritizing that communication. Uh, and so that's a, a very easy vetting strategy for me when hiring people is how quickly do you even communicate during the interview process? Well, that's uh, that's a very interesting approach. And it totally makes sense, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, like it's... Uh... <laughs> You you pretty much quickly see like how people are communicating and uh, yeah there are some great tips inside of uh, what you mentioned now. So um, talking about that, like do you do you, can you share any hiring mistakes people usually do? Like I think the biggest hiring mistake that I've seen being made is is typically around uh, what I was just talking about. Instead of looking at um, like a hobby project or a fun little hackathon project, looking at someone's resume. I typically actually never look at resumes um, when hiring a designer or a developer. I think maybe like a project manager or a CFO, a resume makes a lot more sense. But when you're hiring someone that's doing like creative work, um, I want to look at a portfolio. Uh, so typically I don't even pay attention to a resume. Um, I think another mistake is, is looking at someone from a skills perspective, right? Um, and typically you want to see a developer that's really good at JavaScript, right? And uh, yeah. I'll have a resume come in that's got like 45 languages listed. And I'm just like, dude, that's, it's cool if you have experience in all of that, but even just gear your resume towards the position that I'm hiring for. Like it's irrelevant if you know 50 other languages, that's not important to you. It's not impressive, right? Um, and so what I'm typically looking for is someone that, is very good at the thing that I'm hiring for and is not trying to uh, boast on the resume or the portfolio by saying that they're good at a million things. Um, that's not to say that I don't want a jack of all trades. It does come in handy, but I want someone who is uh, not specialized, I guess, uh, but someone who is passionate about the specific thing that I'm hiring for and is gearing kind of portfolio or resume around that. I think a resume or a hiring mistake that a lot of people do is be impressed by numbers and stats and um, degrees and kind of like vanity metrics, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I've even seen resumes that list like the number of lines of code that they've written, which is weird because wouldn't less <laughs> lines of code be more efficient and therefore be a better value. But um, yeah, I think people get caught up in vanity metrics a lot. Um, I, I can't speak for kind of this industry in particular, uh, but I will say that I hope that in the next five years that a college degree, especially in uh, remote work, um, design, development, project management even, um, I, I think that a college degree is a real problem to throw as a requirement. Because uh, I think the people that have actually found that have been the best workers have never even gone to college. Um, but I also mm -hmm. think that to some degree that has turned into a vanity metric, you know, how high of a degree do I have? What school did I go to? Was it prestigious? Did I graduate with honors? I'm just like, dude, I don't care. Are you a good developer or are you not? Right. And yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that's a mistake that a lot of, uh, I call it uh, industry uh, veterans make, right. Which is looking for those vanity metrics. Oh, he's worked on 
projects with that big of a client. Oh, like he, you know, a lot of people will put their client list on there too. Like it's a really, really big deal mm -hmm. that they did something for Google. Um, and it's cool. Like I admit that that's great. That's it's, it does validate you to some degree, but I would rather just see that you're really good at what you do and that you love what you do and not try and chase a vanity metric down. Yeah, for sure. It might be the easiest way to, uh, to validate some somebody like through uh, through the through this metrics, but it's probably not the best way to to do. Like, however, like doing it another way like requires a little bit more in depth uh, uh, search and uh, a little bit more effort. So that might be the issue why a lot of people are not doing it, especially like let's say the industry leaders where like they get like thousands of uh, mm -hmm. applications like and. Uh, I can understand the issue for them, but yeah, it's probably not the best way to to find the best people. Like as you mentioned, like I never you know, worked with a good engineer where his uh, like his college would be like the dominant factor, uh, like for for his skill. Like exactly, <laughs> it's usually something like no, like I haven't ever discussed uh, with somebody like who's like on which college did you go? It's mostly about the projects you did, like or. The, the hard problems you solved or like the failures you uh, uh, you went through and like what have you learned from it like the failure one is like a really interesting one yeah, it's always good to see. ask like name a problem that you were you know given and how you solved it like that's a really good question because again it, it kind of gives you this opportunity to get inside the person's head understand what their problem solving skills look like I think it also gives you an idea of the type of work that they like doing. Because if somebody comes back to like, oh, you know, I really haven't had any problems. I, I usually just do what I'm told. I'm like, nah, you're not a problem solver then, right? Like you're a doer. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. Sometimes you need those people. But I'm typically looking for someone that's chasing problems and trying to specifically solve for some insane problem that nobody else could find a solution for. Yeah, I think uh, we agree on this one. Can you maybe tell us what is your software remote stack your team uses? Ooh, so Slack for communication, Yak for voice, um, external client communication. We do Zooms. We never do internal. There's no internal meetings. We never do an internal meeting. Mm -hmm. um, so clients or VCs, I, I do um, uh, Zoom calls with. I think that's a great conscious okay. decision on our part to not do internal meetings. Um, Visual Studio Code um, as our IDE for coding. Uh, we actually use Travis CI for building all of the, uh, the Yak builds, which is really great because for a remote team, what's awesome about that is I have all these other people committing code and we don't have to depend on one person's specific machine uh, to sign mm -hmm. the builds and upload them. Uh, it just goes into our GitHub and then we can just trigger a build on Travis and know that it can always perfectly build on that virtual machine so that we're never dependent on like a contractor's laptop or someone who maybe is sick and we're not able to make a build. So I think it's a really good decision no matter what team you're on, but in a remote team, that's super important. Um, yeah, we try and be uh, pretty tight about the tools that we use. We just recently uh, got uh, Asana set up. Uh, previously, I was just mm -hmm. basically dumping tasks into Slack. Uh, so Asana is now a big part of our workflow. Uh, we also are really picky about our email client. Uh, I will go ahead and plug my favorite email client, and it is not superhuman. Uh, we use Newton. Uh, Newton Mail has been our email client across the board for years now. Uh, we basically tell any of our employees, any of our contractors, if you would like a license, it's 50 bucks a year, I will reimburse you, no questions asked. Just tell me and I will give you the 50 bucks to pay every year for Newton. That's one of the best email clients I've ever used. Very focused, very clean. Um, 
So yeah, really, we, we're very picky about the tools that we use. Uh, JumpShare has been a big part of collaboration, and I think we're not stealing features, but we're definitely borrowing some ideas from JumpShare and integrating it into Yak, because one of the things that we've seen with a tool like JumpShare is kind of the, uh, the speed at which we can use it. And so that's why we're putting annotation and stuff into Yak, because it's just instantly be able to send that to someone instead of waiting for it to upload, pasting a link into Slack, hoping they see it. Um, you know, with something like Yak, we get the read receipt. Uh, it's instantly shared to our team members. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's kind of off the top of my head. That's what our, our, our stack is. Asana, Slack, Visual Studio Code, Travis CI, Yak, obviously, and then Newton for mail. You mentioned like you, you have like no internal meetings policy. Like, can you give like any tips and tricks on like operating as a remote? Um, you know, the not having meetings is a conscious decision on our part because we all kind of work different schedules. Um, one of the things that I wanted to put in place early on in our company was this idea of I don't care when you work or where you work from as long as you get your work done. And so mm -hmm. what that translates to in meeting speak is, well, if not everybody's always working on the same schedule, I can't possibly try and schedule a call around that because we don't know, you know, it's very difficult to schedule a call with four different people who may pop up at different hours during the day. Um, and I don't want to derail everybody's workflow because X person is only available in this small pocket of time. Um, what we typically do is we have a um, Slack message that's set to automatically pop up every morning that says, please send your standup. Mm -hmm. We have a format um, that we've kind of, um, you know, SOP in a way um, that we've said, hey, here's how you phrase your standup. We even made custom Slack emojis with checkboxes for different colors for different teams. Uh, it says what you're working on, um, what you accomplished yesterday, and any blockers, you know, any roadblocks that you have that would prevent your, your work from being successful. That way I can immediately hop in and say, um, you know, what is it that you're working on that you're having a problem with? Let me solve it or even remove it off your plate. Maybe you're not the right person to have that, that task. Um, one thing that I think everybody should do is definitely read um, the book's rework. And it doesn't have to be crazy at work uh, from the Basecamp guys. Really, really great books. Um, one of the things that he said in there that actually shockingly was already something we implemented was basically this idea of teams of three. You know, if, if there's a project that you're working on, it should not take more than three people to accomplish it. If, if it does, something's wrong with the task. And then also this idea that like, if something is taking longer than an hour to implement, um, you know, there's, there's obviously differences here. I mean, a huge feature um, will take longer than an hour, right? But that's why you should break that up into smaller uh, sprints, right? So we typically take the idea that if I've given you a task and it's taking you longer than an hour to figure it out, either you're not the right person for the task or I gave the task wrong, right? It needed to be broken up into smaller successes. Um, and so a lot of that standup has to do with this idea of like, I will see the same thing in a standup day to day and I'll know, okay, hold on. The same exact task has been put in the standup three days in a row now. Someone's stuck. Let me figure out why they're stuck. Maybe I gave the task incorrectly. Maybe... Uh, there's a technical thing that I can help with, or maybe they're not the right person for that task. Um, but having that stand up like that, um, where I have kind of the history instead of Slack, where I can see that, um, will allow me to kind of have a check on what the current tasks are and make sure that no one's working on something that they shouldn't be. Well, sounds like you guys have formed a pretty good process for operating remotely, which is great. I think a lot of companies can learn from you guys. Justin, uh, thanks again for coming to Inside Remote. There was plenty of good advice you shared with us. If our listeners want to contact you, 
Where can they reach you? Uh, so I'm available on Twitter at jmitch. That's J M I T C H uh, at Yak Chat for the company. Um, if you want to try Yak in one of your remote teams, just request an invite on uh, Yak Chat. That's Y A C Chat. Uh, and yeah, yeah, definitely hit me up on Twitter. I'm super active there. Love interacting with people. Um, my biggest thing is, is feedback. If you've got ideas for the app, if, you have, uh, if you've used it, you've got some feedback you'd like to give us. You know, please, please, please give us that brutal feedback. That's the way that we build a product that's going to succeed. Um, so yeah, definitely hit us up. Request an invite for your team, and uh, we'd love to talk to you. Justin, thanks again for being on Inside Remote. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. If you like this episode and you like Inside Remote, you can subscribe to my show on your favorite podcast app. And also thanks everyone for giving us a review on iTunes. I appreciate it a lot. For all who haven't done it yet, I appreciate if you visit Inside Remote on iTunes and give us feedback, since this will help us spread our word about remote work even further. Thanks again and have a great productive day whether you work from home, co-working space or office. Mm-hmm.